MSW Media. Please join me in thanking Credit Karma for supporting the Daily Beans. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers. And thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit toward your purchase of The Bed plus free shipping in the continental United States. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, April 28th, 2022. Today, another proud boy has flipped for the Department of Justice. Trump admits something relevant to the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal probe, whose grand jury is about to expire. The DeSantis v. Disney battle isn't going the way Ron would like it to. The CEO of Boeing regrets doing business with Donald. A MAGA candidate for Pennsylvania lieutenant governor is homeless after his wife files a protective order. A judge says Trump's appraisers violated their own policy when they lied about his real estate values. And the 1-6 committee asks for an expedited briefing schedule in the Mark Meadows case. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Wow, it's a big, heavy news day. First of all, I I wanted to talk a little bit about the Boeing CEO situation, because I'm going to go in depth on that this Sunday on Mueller, she wrote. But apparently they've lost about six hundred and sixty million dollars when they made that deal to refurbish the Air Force One planes that Trump was using. And now they're sad about it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and some other problems that are facing the Boeing CEO as well. And also later in the show, I'm going to have a chat with Adam Klasfeld. We're going to talk about how Elon Musk has lost in court against the Securities and Exchange Commission. You don't want to miss that either. And as you could tell by the top of the show, we do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from the Justice Department, a Missouri man, a member of the Proud Boys, pled guilty today to a felony charge for obstructing law enforcement officers during the breach of the Capitol on January 6th. His and others' actions disrupted a joint session of the U.S. Congress convened to ascertain and count the electoral votes related to the presidential election. Luis Enrique Colon, 45, of Blue Springs, Missouri, pled guilty in the District of Columbia to civil disorder. Colon was a member of the Proud Boys, which describes itself as a pro-Western fraternal organization for men who refuse to apologize for creating the modern world, a.k.a. Western chauvinists, unquote. Beginning on or around December 2020, He and other Proud Boys members and others began discussing plans to travel to D.C. on January 6th. He and others drove from Kansas City to Washington, D.C. Cologne brought a handgun with him on the trip, but did not bring it into Washington. On January 5th, he and two others went to a hardware store to purchase items to use on January 6th. Cologne purchased a modified axe handle to be used as both a walking stick and a weapon. On January 6th, Cologne and others met with a large group of Proud Boys at the Washington Monument, then marched to the Capitol, making their way to the west side of the grounds. At the time, Cologne was carrying a pocket knife and wearing a backpack, tactical vest, tactical gloves, boots, and a helmet adorned with orange tape. Cologne and others proceeded past the police barricades and onto the Capitol's west plaza. He climbed a wall to gain access to a higher level of the Capitol's exterior and unlawfully entered the building at approximately 2 p.m. While inside the Capitol, Cologne obstructed police officers 
who were attempting to lower retractable doors to stop rioters from proceeding further into a portion of the building. Cologne used his hands to stop one door and placed a chair in its path. He remained in the Capitol building till about 2.50 p.m. So, very interesting. There's a lot of uh, talking about using force there, which makes me think that they are going to charge any of the Proud Boys who do not cooperate with seditious conspiracy. We'll see. That is just a theory of mine. I don't have any proof. And from Betsy Woodruff Swan and Kyle Cheney at Politico, multiple current and former RNC staffers have spoken with the January 6th Select Committee amid questions about the party's messaging and fundraising in the weeks after the 2020 election. The committee has shown particular interest in staff from the RNC's digital and finance teams. Most of the officials who've spoken with investigators are former employees who worked during the 2020 election cycle, including the fraught period between Election Day and the January 6th attack on the Capitol. This means the committee has more insight than previously known into the Republican Party's activity in the lead up to January 6th. And by the way, today, Vanita Gupta confirmed in a Cafe.com interview that they are investigating at the Department of Justice, not the committee, but in the Department of Justice, not just the Capitol attack, but the lead up as well. And also what happened after. Now, the interviews of these RNC staffers with the January 6th committee, though, they underscore the committee's interest in how political messaging by the national GOP apparatus, which partnered with the Trump campaign on digital fundraising efforts, may have stoked falsehoods about the 2020 election. They also want to know just how successful one particular email campaign was at getting users to click to donation websites. Those emails prompted people to give money based on false claims that the election was stolen. That's according to the committee. Committee investigators have said they're interested in who authorized the RNC's specific messaging about the election outcome and whether it played a role in stoking the violent mob that breached the Capitol on January 6th. Could the RNC be a co-conspirator here? Salesforce, a third-party vendor that the RNC had used to store internal political and fundraising data, appeared to reach that conclusion, saying shortly after the 1-6 attack, they were concerned their platform could have contributed to the violence. They've said that. They've admitted it. The select committee has subpoenaed the company for its internal analyses that led to that conclusion, along with a host of materials related to its work for the RNC. Rana Romney McDaniel, the RNC chair, has met with panel investigators, but on the day she did, the RNC sued to block Salesforce from complying with the subpoena. The subpoena issued in February also sought information on fundraising pitches questioning the integrity of the 2020 election and on metrics related to the campaign. U.S. District Court Judge Timothy Kelly has said he will rule this week on whether to permit the select committee to access those materials through the Salesforce subpoena, side with the RNC and block it, or prolong the lawsuit. He has indicated he's inclined to dismiss the RNC's claims against the select committee on the grounds that the Constitution's speech or debate clause prevents Congress from being sued for conducting its official business. However, Kelly is grappling with whether to allow the RNC to continue its legal fight against Salesforce, which would keep alive the prospect of blocking the committee from obtaining those records. In other 1-6 news, the committee has filed for an expedited briefing schedule in the good old Mark Meadows case. Time is of the essence, they say, in rectifying plaintiffs' refusal to comply with the select committee's subpoenas. The House of Representatives is not a continuing body. So just in case anyone was wondering whether or not the committee knows that they're on a timetable, they do. The current Congress will end, they say, on January 3rd, 2023, just over eight months from now. Prompt resolution of this case is required for the select committee to have enough time to investigate fully the matters addressed by the subpoenas and to propose 
and for Congress to pass any legislation that it may deem appropriate in response. Time is of the essence. Plaintiffs combined opposition and cross-motion for summary judgment they want to have done by May 10th. Defendants combined opposition to plaintiffs' cross-motion on May 20th, and plaintiffs' reply by May 31st, 2022. And they also request oral arguments on these cross-motions be held at the earliest possible date the court is available following conclusion of the briefing. Meadows opposes this expedited schedule, just in case you were wondering. I'll keep you posted on what happens. And in a lawsuit's never-before-seen testimony, Donald Trump himself admitted to personally overseeing the compensation of an executive whose corporate perks have been under criminal scrutiny by the Manhattan District Attorney, potentially strengthening the case against the former president and his company for tax fraud. Never before seen. Trump's sworn testimony was filed in New York State Court on Tuesday as part of a lawsuit against the Trump Organization over the way its security guards manhandled protesters outside Trump Tower in 2015. So this is a deposition from Trump about something that happened in 2015. According to the transcript of the October 18th, 2021 deposition, Trump repeatedly asserted that he, and only he, oversaw the way Matthew Calamari Sr. was paid for his work as the family company's chief operating officer. It would be me, Trump repeatedly said when asked who had authority over Calamari's compensation. That's one of those bombshells, one of those smoking guns that we were waiting for, wondering whether or not Alvin Bragg had that when he decided to sort of not prosecute Trump or if he's just now getting it. This could potentially make Trump personally responsible for any tax dodging scheme and more importantly, is useful evidence in the grand jury investigation that has yet to produce an indictment against Donald. For months, three sources familiar with the Manhattan DA's investigation have told the Daily Beast that investigators have been probing the way Calamari was paid off the books with allegedly untaxed perks, such as an extravagant corporate apartment at the Trump Park Avenue in New York City's expensive Midtown and a Mercedes-Benz. Prosecutors went as far as having Calamari's son, corporate security director Matt Calamari Jr., receive total immunity for potential crimes and testify before a grand jury. In Calamari's case, Manhattan DA investigators have been asking about the corporate perks since at least February of 2021. That's, what, eight months before this testimony was given. According to one witness who was interviewed by prosecutors, it was clear to several witnesses the prosecutors had hoped to leverage a long-standing feud between Calamari and Weisselberg, their families, as Shakespearean drama over who's more loyal to the boss. However, formal charges have yet to materialize against the elder Calamari. Prosecutors could present these newly available statements to the grand jury as additional evidence, tying Trump to whatever illegal payment scheme the DA's office is alleging took place at the Trump Organization. However, the special grand jury, seated to hear evidence in the Manhattan DA's investigation, is set to expire at the end of the week and will not be extended, according to people familiar with the investigation. So this six-month special grand jury, which was impaneled in October, heard evidence late last year from several witnesses, including reporters to whom the former guy boasted about his personal wealth. The Forbes guy stands out in my head. Presentations to the grand jury were halted earlier this year after Alvin Bragg was sworn into office and raised concerns about the strength of the evidence. Mm -hmm. The decision to not extend the jury's term is not surprising because prosecutors already had pulled back from presenting evidence. But the development does indicate that over the past few months, the investigation has not escalated to the point that Bragg's calculus has changed. Bragg, who has stressed that the investigation is continuing following the abrupt and public departure of two senior prosecutors, 
said earlier this month there's no magic to the special grand jury's timetable and that his office could present evidence to a future grand jury if the investigation moves in that direction. Grand juries are impaneled in New York all the time, and any of them could hear the evidence. And I hope they do, because a New York judge has determined that Cushman and Wakefield, that's Trump's, uh, one of the world's largest real estate firms that was doing real estate appraisals for Trump, broke its own rules to appease the Trump organization and the former American president's chronic practice of inflating the value of his properties. This is Judge Engeron. We talked about him yesterday. His surprising assertions were included in his court order on Wednesday, in which he formally directed Cushman and Wakefield to turn over documents to the New York Attorney General's office. In his order, the judge indicated he personally reviewed the sensitive documents in the privacy of his court chambers that indicate Cushman and Wakefield employees played along. A damning revelation that could open a global corporation to accusations of conspiring along with the Trump organization. Quote, this court has reviewed numerous documents in camera demonstrating that CNW was not consistent in adhering to its own internal quality control practices when conducting appraisals on behalf of the Trump organization. By enforcing the attorney general subpoenas, Engeron's court order adds key support to the New York investigation, which is heating up. This is Tish James's investigation in what could be the final phase of her probe. When the investigation concludes, she'll be able to sue the Trump organization and others for violation of the state's business laws and seek to shut them down permanently and seek monetary damages. In other news, as Florida legislators were rushing through the passage of a bill to repeal the special district that governs Walt Disney World last week, they failed to notice an obscure provision in state law that says the state could not do what legislators were doing unless the district's bond debt was paid off. Disney, however, did notice, and the Reedy Creek Improvement District quietly sent a note to its investors to show that it was confident the legislature's attempt to dissolve the special taxing district operating the 39-square-mile parcel it owned in two counties violated the pledge the state made when it entered and enacted the district in 1967, and therefore was not legal. The result, Reedy Creek told its investors, is that we'll just continue to go about business as usual. Don't. Just ignore it. Ignore what the legislators did. In essence, the state had a contractual obligation not to interfere with the district until the bond debt was paid off. (laughs) And that's Jake Schumer, a municipal attorney in the Maitland law firm of Shepard Smith, Colmier and Hand. And this is in an article for Bloomberg Tax posted on Tuesday and it cited law and crime, a law and crime article. So basically, you can't do that until Disney's debts are paid off. So it's not binding. Over to Pennsylvania and content warning here for domestic violence and child abuse. Teddy Daniels, a far right Republican MAGA candidate for lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, was removed from his home this week after his wife asked a court for emergency protections against abuse. This is at least the third relationship in which Daniels has been accused in court documents of mistreating a female partner. In court documents obtained by Rolling Stone, Daniels' wife accuses him of striking her and being verbally abusive, as well as threatening her, their young child, and the family dog. Daniels' wife initially received an order granting emergency protection from abuse to her and her child on Monday from the Wayne County, Pennsylvania Court of Common Pleas. On Tuesday, those protections were extended via a separate order from the same court. Under the terms of this order, Daniels is barred from the couple's home in Lake Ariel, Pennsylvania, until the court orders otherwise. The order bars Daniels from contacting his wife and gives her temporary custody over the child. It also notes that there are firearms present in the couple's home 
and bars Daniels from possessing or acquiring any firearms while the order is in effect, and to relinquish any he currently possesses to the court or an approved third party. In handwritten notes from Daniels' wife that the court included in its Tuesday order, Daniels' wife alleges that her husband, whom the court lists as a six foot four, 350 pound guy, quote, grabbed me by the shirt during an incident in August and threatened to kill our family dog in front of the children. Quote, I'm afraid of him and what he will do to me and our child. The notes from his wife that accompanied Tuesday's court order detail a disturbing domestic saga in which she lives in fear for her safety and the safety of the child. According to Daniels' wife's written notes, state police came to their home after being called to do a wellness check. Quote, after they left, Ted became very agitated about who called the state troopers and accused my family of talking to Rolling Stone about his prior domestic violence. He falsely accused me of talking to Rolling Stone. He was verbally abusive and I called the state police. Daniels' wife has never communicated in any way with the reporters of Rolling Stone. She did not respond to a request for comment. Rolling Stone is withholding her name as she's an alleged victim of domestic abuse. Rolling Stone obtained the court documents from a family friend of the couple who asked that their names be withheld, citing safety concerns. Now, according to Daniels' wife's notes, when the state police returned to their home on Sunday, they suggested her husband leave the home overnight to cool down and suggested she get a protection from abuse order. Rolling Stone reached out to the state police in Homesdale, Pennsylvania, on Sunday to confirm they'd visited the home. The officer who answered the phone declined to comment. In her statement, included in the court order, Daniel's wife said he returned to their home at approximately six Monday morning. He asked if I was going to file a protection from abuse order, and I started crying. I started to go to the courthouse, and he tried not to let me go. Daniel's wife wrote that, adding, Ted followed me to the courthouse and then came into the courthouse. In her notes, Daniels' wife makes alarming allegations about his prior conduct. He stalks me at work, screams at me, makes me cry. He cursed at me continuously, and our son repeats it to me. He has constantly said he would throw myself and our son out of the house. If he lost the campaign, I wouldn't have a place to live in three weeks. Now, in her statement, Daniels' wife further alleges that he curses at me and our son. She also says Daniels has threatened the young boy by saying he would kick his ass and that he needs an ass-whooping. She also claimed Daniels gave alcohol to a child he had with another woman when that child was 12 years old. The order for emergency protection, which documents the third relationship in which Daniels has been accused of abusive behavior, sets a court hearing for May 6th. And Elon Musk tried to ditch his SEC babysitters to no avail. And Adam Klasfeld and I will break it down for you right after this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans, and today's episode is brought to you by Thuma. Absolutely beautiful stuff that they make at Thuma. I'm in love with it. I've been thinking, I had been thinking about reinventing my bedroom with Thuma, right? It was just a place I slept, but I I wanted it to be a place I could hang out. And, I, you know, I love the minimalistic aesthetic that Thuma's bedroom designs have. You know, I'm a mid-mod person. And Thuma's clean lines and subtle curves and lifestyle-enhancing details encapsulate true elegance in simplicity. My favorite item is the bed from Thuma. You'll find it beautiful. Uh, There's unique variations in the grain of their upcycled wood, by the way, which is eco-friendly, high quality, and sustainable. The minimalist design and Japanese joinery add a touch of sophistication. It's designed to minimize noise and create space. It really opens up the room. It's breathable while supportive of your mattress as well. 
Thuma's bed is backed by a lifetime warranty, ships right to your door in three boxes, and can be assembled in under five minutes with no tools. Thuma is offering uh, other bedroom essentials, too, like the nightstand and the side table and the tray, which are excellent complements to the bed. Thuma partners with One Tree Planted as well. They plant one tree for every bed and nightstand sold, and all of their essentials are Green Guard Gold certified, and that's really hard to get. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel, but at home with the bed by Thuma. And now go to thuma.co slash beans and use the code beans at checkout to receive a $25 credit toward your purchase of the bed plus free shipping in the continental U.S. That's thuma, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans and then enter code beans at checkout for $25 credit. Thuma.co slash beans and enter code beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Happy to be joined today by my friend from law and crime, Mr. Adam Klasfeld. Hi, Adam. Hey, how's it going, Allison? Good. Long time no see. It's been a minute. It has. It has. So I wanted to talk to you today because uh, one of your tweets at Klasfeld Reports, if, if you're not following, by the way, follow at Klasfeld Reports, about Elon. And it wasn't about the Twitter thing. And so I was hoping you could tell us what's going on between Elon Musk and the SEC. So I will have to amend your statement slightly. It wasn't about the Twitter thing, but it was certainly about a Twitter thing. It's (laughs) namely a Twitter thing that Elon Musk got himself in trouble with long ago when he tweeted out that he was going to take Tesla private at $420 a share. Perhaps some of your Listeners recognize that number as uh, widely understood to be a code for cannabis culture. But he said he was going to take Tesla private at $420 a share and that the funding had been secured. The SEC initiated regulation action because of that, because essentially they said that it was false. They, he had not discussed a specific deal on terms with any potential financing partners, and that this was just a false statement that moved the market. They initiated a regulatory action. And later that year, this happened in uh, 2018, they reached what is known as a consent decree, which is that Elon Musk volunteered to enter into a settlement for $20 million. And importantly, for today's ruling, agreed to pre-approval of his tweets. So the man who has now come to have this deal to own Twitter since the time of that consent decree has been, at least in theory, supposed to be pre-approving any tweets that might move the markets. He has been found at least potentially straying from the dictates of that consent decree time and again. And after the CDC subpoenaed him over suspected violations of that consent decree, tried through his lawyer to shake off this SEC oversight. That brings us to today. That attempt fell flat where a federal judge, a Trump appointed federal judge for that matter, Uh, said that Musk may wish it were otherwise, but he is subject, he remains subject to the same enforcement authority and has the same means to challenge the exercise of that authority as any other citizen. Basically, a judge saying he's like any other citizen. The SEC has the right to scrutinize him if he enters into an agreement 
regulators have the right to exercise their rights under that agreement. They said the judge's ruling continues. Indeed, to conclude otherwise would be to hold that a serial violator of the securities laws or a recidivist would enjoy greater protection against SEC enforcement than a person who had never even been accused of a securities law violation. So here we have a federal judge at least implying that he is a recidivist, a serial violator, and someone who appears to believe he is above a law higher than another citizen. A very strongly worded ruling. He said that none of Elon Musk's arguments hold water. Elon Musk claimed that this was an unconstitutional prior restraint under the First Amendment to have the SEC essentially looking over his shoulder when he wants to tweet something that could potentially move markets. As a matter of fact, Allison, it's very funny because before we knew that this deal with Twitter was going to go forward and Elon Musk had floated it, he obviously did so not in a tweet, in an S, but rather in an SCC filing, uh, there was a humorous tweet by a fellow billionaire of his, uh, Mark Cuban, who at the time said, and I know that the tagline is news with swearing, so I will quote this accurately. (laughs) Mark Cuban thought that this was Elon Musk, quote unquote, fucking with the SEC. And that turned out not to be the case. He actually did follow through. As we know, this deal is at least slated to move forward, and Elon Musk will be in charge of this platform, apparently with Jack Dorsey's blessing. But this case reminds us that his use of the Twitter platform has a history that has gone into federal court, that has remained in federal court, not only in this SEC regulatory action. He has been taken to court before for calling a British citizen a pedo guy uh, because he didn't like that British citizen's remark uh, about his efforts in the Thai cave rescue uh, mission. I should note, of course, that that defamation lawsuit by that British citizen failed. But it's a it's worth mentioning because it's this pattern of how time and again, Elon Musk's tweets have landed him in trouble. And now he is slated to run the platform. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about being slated to run the platform because there's a couple of clauses in this deal that would nullify it. But there's also things where the where Twitter says there's some things that won't nullify it. And one of the things that won't nullify this deal is if people hate Elon Musk. Can't get out of this deal just because if you find out a bunch of people hate your face. But then there's another clause that says, you know, if either Twitter or Elon turn out to be bad dudes, then we can nullify the other party can nullify this thing. Or if you tweet adverse things about Twitter or any members of Twitter's board, that would also be bad things. And then, of course, Elon goes out and tweets something bad about Jim Baker, who mm-hmm. who's the former, by the way, FBI general counsel and is now general counsel of Twitter. He's tweeted a few disparaging, one could argue, disparaging things about Twitter in the past couple of days. But also, could this judge's ruling that he's a serial offender of these SEC things, of his consent decree, 
could that be considered something that would put his purchase in jeopardy? Like where Twitter says, um, a judge just called you a serial offender of a SEC consent decree. And so we don't think your Twitter material or whatever. I don't know how it works. And then that would nullify the agreement costing, I think, costing Elon a billion dollars. Does this pose any kind of threat to to that particular? I haven't heard anything from the Twitter side mm. or the Twitter board or anyone who's putting together this Twitter deal right now that he's violated this or could have could potentially have violated any number of clauses in that deal. Well, we'll have to see what happens. There's certainly been no stirrings of it. And, but I will say this to kind of put this ruling into perspective. What this ruling preserves is the status quo. What Elon Musk wanted to do, and this is a rejection of Elon Musk's motion, he has been under the SEC's watchful eye for years. He wanted to get off of it. He wanted the SEC to stop looking over his shoulder when he is composing his latest 2280 character opus and that effort failed so to the extent that the people behind this deal with twitter might say hey we didn't expect this well then they just weren't closely monitoring the federal docket in the southern district of new york they could have gotten all of the facts here this has been going on since 2018 and perhaps they could have been better researchers of federal filings if they had any concerns about this. What the judge has done and said that is basically say that none of those concerns has have dissipated. And in fact, they they appear to have been ongoing that Musk time and again in the ruling, you see tweets that the judge is at least flagging as problematic time and again. In one of those instances, Musk tried to characterize one of his tweets as a celebration of the company and just a put a kind of like positive spin, calling it a celebratory statement of pride and optimism. And the judge scoffed at it, saying that position bordered on the risible. Uh, He said (laughs) it, it was in a footnote and all of the nuggets in federal rulings, always read the footnotes, I always tell people. And, but the, this was the tweet that essentially Elon Musk claimed was a mere celebration. He said that Tesla made zero cars in 2011, but will make around 500,000 in 2019. And this was just a celebration. Mm-hmm. So what the judge wrote was, a reasonable observer could certainly conclude that the CEO of a Fortune 100 company tells millions of followers that his company will make a specific production volume in the next year. That statement is not a casual one. (laughs) So it's this sort of thing where this was a lacerating ruling. This was a very scathing ruling. But if anyone on the Twitter board is surprised by this ruling. They really haven't been doing their research. I gotcha. So whether or not this violates the Twitter deal, which it sounds like it probably wouldn't or we might have heard something by now, but whether or not it does, he's still now susceptible to the SEC consent decree that says he has to get permission to tweet things like that every time he tweets something like that as the owner of Twitter. Now, 
if he keeps violating this consent decree, which he is still now under because he lost his bid to come out from under it, what could possibly happen to him? Could he be could he be charged or referred for any of these violations of of market manipulation since he's still being watched? Well, one thing to note that in this ruling, there are essentially two parts of it. He wanted to quash portions of a subpoena that was issued to him over the tweets that he claims were celebrations or perfectly innocent. So we know at minimum that this subpoena means the SEC is investigating it. Will they bring another regulatory action of the kind that led to that earlier $20 million settlement? I generally don't make predictions, so we'll wait and see. But I do want to call listeners' attention to the fact that this was not just a ruling about the consent decree that was being rejected. The judge also rejected his attempt to quash subpoenas. So it seems fairly clear that the SEC is looking into it. And they deal mostly in fines, right? Not necessarily criminal activity. Yeah, That has uh, generally been the case, particularly with, with Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah. And $20 million is couch change for <laughs> Elon Musk. <laughs> Although, I don't know. I think he just spent up pretty much every penny he had on on uh, Twitter. But but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. This is very interesting. And uh, yeah, a setback for Elon. Thank you so much for your time today. Everybody follow Classfeld Reports on Twitter. And also you can find him at Law and Crime where all of his stories get published. Thank you again. Thank you for having me, Allison. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Daily Beans. Planning ahead for a big expense? Don't put those car repairs or medical bills on a high-interest credit card. Please don't do it. Credit Karma can help you look for a low-interest personal loan that could save you money while you pay off your purchase. One due date per month will simplify your life, and Credit Karma will ensure you find the best option for your budget. With Credit Karma, you can find loan offers designed specifically for your credit profile so you know how much you might qualify for. Credit Karma is able to provide clear indications of your chances for approval so you can choose loan offers that are likely to be accepted and that gives you greater confidence when you apply. On Credit Karma, comparing loan offers is 100% free and it will not affect your credit score and it could save you money. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. If you're ready to apply, Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers. Again, creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find the loan for you. That's creditkarma.com slash loan offers. Hey, I'm Ben Micellis. I'm Brett Micellis. And I'm Jordy. And we are the hosts of the Midas Touch podcast, the top rated, top watched political podcast for pro-democracy content. Each week, we do multiple episodes where we break down the political issues of the day here in the United States and abroad as we fight for democracy. Isn't that right, Brett? That's right, Ben. We've had conversations with some incredible guests like White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Beto O'Rourke, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison, Glenn Kirshner, Mary Trump, celebrities like Deborah Messing, Alyssa Milano, Michael Rappaport, and more. So subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast wherever you get your podcast. That's the Midas Touch, M-E-I-P-A-S-T-O-U-C-H podcast. Jordy, anything to add? Shout out to the Midas Midas. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, pet picks, adoptable pets in your area that you want to send. If you're a creator and you have a small business and you want to let us know about it, uh, if you want to play What the Mutt, I love that game, 
or Find the Cat or Shit Kids Say or How Dumb is Louis Gohmert. Anything you want to send to us. I love Halloween pictures. You can send them all year. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Quick note for patrons, this Friday's happy hour is going to start at 5 p.m. Pacific instead of 4 p.m. Pacific. That's one hour later than usual. So please take note, this week's happy hour on Friday is going to be at 5 p.m. Pacific. If you're not a patron and you want to be one and get these shows ad-free and be able to join our Zoom calls, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote. That will give you ad-free for the Daily Beans, Muller She Wrote, the MSW Book Club, all three shows. And it's just, it's three bucks a month. It's $36 a year. That's bananas. All right. First of all, let's take a submission from Jordan. Pronouns she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. After a very hard year of career burnout, anxiety, dealing with my parents splitting up, and a whole host of additional family drama, I can finally happily say that April 2022 rocked my freaking socks off. (laughs) First off, got married to the love of my life. We had a kick-ass tiny brunch wedding, and it was absolutely everything we dreamed it would be. My photo tax is one of my favorite photos of us. I turned 30 with a full embrace of the awesomeness of a new decade and no fear of the future, and now rounding it off by getting a new job that pays so much more than what I've been making for the past nine years with more focus and less bullshit. Can I get a hallelujah? Yes, you can. Listening to the beans has kept me centered, focused, and knowing that there's a whole world of love and support out there for all of us. And I just wish absolutely all of the good juju that has been with me this month will spread to all of the leguminati. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow. Look at this photo. Absolutely beautiful. Both of you. That dress is gorgeous, by the way. And congratulations. Oh, congrats. Oh, just, oh, my heart. Hmm. Okay, next up from Anonymous, pronouns he and him. Not really a big deal, but I have a 35-day Wordle streak. (laughs) I narrowly averted a loss the other day. I didn't know I knew so many five-letter words. Always figured I was more the four-letter type. Yeah, you and me both, Anonymous. Thanks for the news and the four-letter words. You're welcome. Oh, look, right there. 98%. Man, I'm at like 96%. Show off. Okay. Next up from Sarah, pronouns she and her. Hello, you lovely ladies. I've been an avid listener since about mid-2018, patron since 2020, and this is my first good news submission. Yay. My bestie of almost 30 years wrote a book. Her name is Dr. Joanne Paul, and it's something some listeners of The Beans might be interested in. It's historical political nonfiction thriller called The House of Dudley, A New History of Tudor England. Oh, amazing. It just released in April, and I'm so fucking proud of her. She's been working so hard for so long, and on top of it all, she's getting married in less than a week. Excellent. I can't be there to celebrate either of those amazing accomplishments with her, as I have a respiratory-compromised three-year-old daughter, so traveling from rural Ontario, Canada to England is just too risky right now. But I want to brag so hard about this amazing woman who has been there for me through everything since we were seven-year-old klutzes in ballet class. She has been a rock for decades, And no matter how much time has passed or how often my ADHD brain forgets to respond to her messages or calls, it's as if no time has passed whenever we fully find time to connect. Jo deserves all the amazing things coming her way and so much more. For tax, I've attached a pic of my 11-year-old forever puppy, Teddy. I think his breed should be pretty obvious, but feel free to guess what the mutt. Thanks for being so amazingly you. The podcast is a daily bright spot for me and a breath of fresh air. 
especially as I live in very blue conservative area of my province. I guess blue is conservative up in up in care. Oh, look at this dog. <laughs> oh my goodness, the face. That looks like my friend Lisa Kubachek's dog, Lucky. Oh, so adorable. All right. So everybody, Dr. Joanne Paul, the book is called House of Dudley, A New History of Tudor England. Go grab a copy today. Next up from Amy. Hello to my favorite human beings. You're the very best part of my mornings. My good news is that I met the hopefully future governor of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro. Yes. He made a sweep through deep red Northwestern PA in mid-April. He's so smart and so warm. He genuinely seems to care for those of us left behind in our hollowed out area. Heaven knows our little Democratic committee will work our fingers to the bone to get him elected. Pet Tax is our newest Lammy, born a couple of weeks ago. She doesn't have a name. We just call her little girl. Okay, first of all, I've, I've been on some Zoom calls with Josh Sapiro leading up to the 2020 election. We were doing some behind the scenes, super secret kind of because I'm telling you about it now. So maybe not anymore. But uh, we were doing some strategizing for how to win, how to, how to get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris elected. And I got to meet with uh, Chuck Schumer and the second gentleman, right, Emhoff, and of course, Josh Shapiro. And he is truly, honestly, I can guarantee you, Amy, he is just a genuine, incredible, smart, caring, warm person. And the baby Lammy I want it. Send it to me, please. Oh, there he is. Hey, Josh, what's up? There's a photo. Nice. Nice. Oh, and I like your frames, too. I really like your frames, Amy. Okay. Next up from Art, pronouns he and him. I am the proud uncle of a colorful farter. I hope everyone at the Beans and all the listeners someday know what it's like to swallow sunshine and fart a rainbow. Okay. <laughs> here's the drawing. Here's, what, here's what's happening here. His nephew, apparently. My fart colors are blue, green, yellow, and orange. All right. <laughs> Oh my God, my fart colors. That's, um, that's, and there he is. Look at that. I, I, I hope you're a patron and you can see this drawing. It's absolutely amazing. I hope you frame it and put it up somewhere. Thank you for all your submissions, everyone. Seriously, these get me through my day. As you know, Dana's out right now. She's traveling. She's doing amazing fundraising work. Do you know she's raised over $30 million? $30 million. Marginalized communities just an amazing woman and I miss her and I'm going to brag about her while she's not here and uh, she'll but she'll be back uh, on Monday with me at the beans and I will be back tomorrow maybe maybe we'll have another giant news dump we'll see but until then please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet take care of your mental health and vote blue over Q I've been AG and them's the beans the daily beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.